Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, I'm going to be talking to Jared Yates Sexton once again. He comes back, and I absolutely adore this man. He's very smart. He's an author. He's a professor, and we talk about the obvious, the pandemic, the debate last night, the possibility of who might be the VP pick. Uh, It's a sobering conversation without a doubt, and I did cry, (laughs) because I'll probably be crying a lot through uh, this whole crazy scary pandemic situation. Um, I didn't cry the whole thing, (laughs) but I did cry. So uh, I want to be sure to also remind everybody that I, after the interview with him, there was a couple things. Number one, I give some suggestions on some books to read, of course my own, but also some, somebody else's books. Um, What else? I also ask you for your input on whatever patrons only show I do next. I might be, and I'm not sure about this, doing a patrons only show this month with Stephanie because we're both self-quarantined and why the fuck not, right? But I'm not sure. So I will be doing one show that's solo. And I, you know, I give you examples of possibilities that I could do and I'm asking for your feedback. So don't forget to stick around after the interview. And just in case you didn't know, Start Me Up is an independent podcast, and I'm the one who runs it. So it's a woman-run podcast. And if you like the show today, please consider becoming a monthly subscriber. Although I will say the shows are usually not this tone because usually we haven't had a deal with a pandemic, right? But anyway, if you like the show, you can become a monthly subscriber at patreon.com slash start me up. When you sign up for $2, you get every show delivered to your email box. And if you like it and you want to upgrade, you can upgrade to any dollar amount, whether it's $5, which gets you a patrons only show at least two times a month, or it is a, you know, you could do $10 or $25 or whatever floats your boat. Um, and I imagine as we progress during this self-quarantine situation, I'll probably be doing a couple extra shows just because, you know, I'm going to need to do it. And maybe you're going to be entertained by it. I don't know. I hope so. Uh, <laughs> but just a friendly reminder, the the patrons only shows are I'm taking on like a new uh, way of doing it where most of them are uh, most of them are just going to be me and I'm going to either relay experiences I've had in the past sometimes it, considering what we're in it'll be like an escapist story I'll forget that we're ha- we're going through a pandemic and talk about some crazy experience I had in my dating life or or you know in my working life and I'll always kind of tie it to the patriarchy and then other shows I might you know this month that might involve Stephanie but um there, I guarantee you that they're going to be personal. And the whole point of doing them is to kind of get you to know me better so that when you're listening to me, you know, talk with a co-host or interview, you understand where I'm coming from. You understand my backstory. So that's, that's basically it. And then also, if you want to make a one-time donation, I always include my email address so that you can send a PayPal thing. And some people prefer to do that. Thank you. I, I, I'm happy for any of it. (laughs) If you want to be a patron, that's great. If you want to make a one-time donation, that's great. Thank you. Don't forget, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. I just got a new review and a new rating, so thank you, thank you, thank you. I know that that helps the um, ranking. And also, if you listen to it on, on, on iTunes, or no, I'm sorry, Apple Podcasts, I have to get used to saying that. If you listen to the show on uh, Apple Podcasts, I know that also helps the rating. But it doesn't cost anything to subscribe, so if you could subscribe, that would be awesome. And I just want to say, before I get into it with Jared... Um, today there's obviously a new 
um, tone. You know, there's just this, we're in a new place. We're in a place that we've never been before, and it's scary. And I understand that. And when I invited Jared to be on the show, none of this was happening yet. You know, we were, I just figured we talk about typical stuff like Bernie and Biden, and and we did. Um, but obviously, it's going to take on a more serious tone because we're in these terrifying times. And so it's my goal through this phase of our existence and God only knows what's going to happen in the next several months. My goal is to not only the same goal I've ever, I've always had, which is entertaining, informing, um, and, and, you know, just sharing experiences and all that. My goal is to create this community of people that listen and engage and that we're all in this together. I appreciate all of your comments and I, you know, I'm at this point living for them because <laughs> I'm all, I mean, I'm home all day anyway. So, you know, I am a homebody. This is, this is my natural state. So being quarantined really doesn't affect me very much. The only thing that it does affect is that I can't see my parents and I, you know, that makes me want to cry. But, um, outside of that, my goal here is to just, you know, I mean, whatever you have, whether it's like you like to watch Netflix, uh, watch comedies, listen to podcasts, whatever it is, do that. And if I'm part of that, if I can be part of your um, coping, part of your experience while you've been self-quarantined, and of course, then thereafter, uh, that is such a um, an amazing thing to be. Uh, I... I, I I, I'm grateful for it. And I just want to let you guys know that I'm so, so grateful for your support. And, you know, today, Jared and I talked about some really heavy duty subjects. But everything that we talked about, I think is necessary and important. And it's just, you know, we're, we're going through this crazy ass fucking time. And we're going to have to get through it together. And you're kind of my lifeline. And so, you know, I hope that you enjoy this show, even though, I mean, we're going to be talking about the pandemic and the possibilities of what we're going to experience and the fears that we all have about, you know, is there going to be an election? What's going to happen to the economy? You know, we talk about this stuff and hopefully, you know, we talk about it in a very real way. Jared is so smart. He is just one of the smartest people. So please enjoy my conversation with Jared Yates Sexton. Welcome, Jared. Hey, thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? Um, I'm okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, it, it's not so much anxiety right now as it is just sort of anger mm-hmm. yeah. about um, why we're here and why we're dealing with the situation we are, mm-hmm. and just kind of looking at um, all the things that led to this. And it's just. Um, you know, there's there's a moment where the anxiety sort of gets replaced by just sort of anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely I'm feeling anxiety and I'm I'm vacillating between trying to you know. I mean, for, first of all, I'm a homebody, so self quarantining doesn't really feel like any kind of a um, compromise for me. It's just my natural state, so that doesn't really bother me. But you know, I mean, I'm. I'm freaking out about a number of things, as we all are, whether it's the economy, the election, you know, I'm worried about getting sick, I'm worried about my parents getting sick, and the thing that really sucks is, um, you know, I used to live in California. My mom um, and dad split up when I was three. We're originally from Maryland, and so 
she moved me, you know, my mom moved us out to California and we both lived there until, uh, we, we went there in 77 and then my mom came back here, back east in 2017. And then I followed in 2018. And basically I followed to be closer to my parents. My dad is here too. So now I'm in a situation where like I'm near both of my parents, but because they're both in their seventies, I don't want to go and see them because I'm afraid, you know, I'm like, I, what if I go to the grocery store? Cause that's the only place I go. But if I go to the grocery store and I get this virus and I don't know I have it and then I give it to them, that is like my huge fear. So it's like I, I think about those things and then I um, and then I try to have a sense of humor. I talk to both of my parents pretty much, you know, several times a week or every day. But it's just it's so difficult. But I'm right there with you. And I have um, as far as what you're talking about, anger, I, I, I have your article um, that I want to talk about because I, I want you to kind of like go over why we're here and maybe where we can um, w- once this is all over what you know picking up the pieces and and how to um, fix or at least prevent some of the crap that we're going through now but before we get into that I, I kind of want to ask you um, what your opinion was on the debate last night well it was very surreal to have the debate in the, in the first place. And uh, it was one of those moments. And, you know, w- whenever you follow the Democratic Party and if you follow them closely enough and for long enough, you start to realize that the Democratic Party is a um, really dysfunctional family. And, uh, you know, it's a very big tent. And, yeah. and in modern times, the Republican Party, obviously, is of one almost solid mind, right? Yeah. <clears throat> it's a group of people who uh, are using white, white identity, resentment, politics, uh, mixed with paranoia to sustain a power base that is uh, slowly being eradicated by de- demographic and economic change. Yeah. The Democratic Party picks up the rest of the pieces, mm-hmm. and they're under a very, very big tent. And so you watch something like this, and there are these moments of startling clarity where you look at two candidates or four candidates or six candidates on a stage, and you suddenly realize that if you could just merge all of them together, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you would have – you know, the, the, the quote unquote perfect candidate. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I want to say this, um, and, and unfortunately this is where we are in this entire situation. Um, I always find myself having to, you know, make a pre-statement before I offer any sort of opin- <laughs> opinion on the democratic primary. And so I'll start there. Um, I have my problems with Joe Biden mm-hmm. and I have my problems with Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a real problem with the online presence of Bernie Sanders supporters. I, yeah. I think that there are a lot of very angry young people who unfortunately have been engaging in some uh, poor behavior. Mm-hmm. And I also have a problem with Biden's record. And mm-hmm. to be frank, the uh, centrist Democratic Party uh, holds a lot of responsibility for a lot of the things that we're currently looking at. So mm-hmm. I, I, I watched him last night and I, you know, I wish that you could take Biden's presentation, the way that people trust him as a, mm-hmm. as a you know, a, a standard bearer and a pretty stable politician. They feel like it can be a return to normalcy. But I also wish that we could be talking about the major systematic problems yes. that Bernie Sanders speaks to. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it was one thing, and I was thinking about this just a little bit before you called. Um, 
you know, when they were having the discussion about the coronavirus pandemic, Biden kept saying, you know, we just need to make sure that nobody's paying for anything and we just do this thing. And Bernie Sanders was like, well, we need to work on Medicare for all to make sure that this is happening. And the truth is that I, and, and, you know, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but anybody who doesn't have a short memory span remembers how the 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 politicians in America promised to take care of first responders after 9/11 yeah. and left them hanging for years mm-hmm. to die. This thing is not going to end in a couple of months. Um, people are going to have permanent damage from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are going there's going to be economic fallout that nobody can talk about. So I, I I think it it needs to be a combination of the two things, both a return to sanity, but also a major major change that we need to make in society. So that's what I came out of the debate feeling. Hmm. You know, one of the things that I was thinking while I was watching the debate, you know, we've got the Biden camp, which is kind of the uh, prior to the Trump craziness, the status quo. And then we've got the Bernie camp, which I mean, just, you know, I, I, I feel the same way. It's like you always have to say, well, this first. What I have to say about Bernie is I am a, totally fucking on board with his ideas. I like his vision. I have always liked his vision. I don't trust that he's the best person to um, accomplish those goals. And I also don't like because it, like what you just said about the Democratic Party is absolutely true. And, and what I liked about Warren is she could take... Uh, a problem that the Democratic Party has. And she could say, all right, well, we've got this issue that we've got to deal with, and I've got a solution for it, and here's how we fix it up. She didn't point her fingers at the Democratic Party and go, you're shameful, and you know, and, and, and kind of like turn the Democratic Party into the enemy because we totally have problems. There, there are problems with you know the way that we're running our campaign, with campaigns. I mean, it's like, Politicians have to go to another office and spend their day on the phone raising money instead of actually doing their jobs. And is that the fault of Democrats? Of course, to a degree it is. It's also the fault of Republicans. And it's the fault of we we got us. We're in the situation right now and we need to get out of it. And there are things that we can address. I just the thing that I'm not excited about with Bernie is how he pits like his followers against the party when right now they're the only uh, sane group of people. They're not perfect. But anyway, I was watching them and I'm like, okay, so there's Bernie's side of things and then there's the Biden side of things. And for all we know, this virus could determine how, I mean, it's already changed how we're doing elections. You know, I mean, this virus has already said, all right, you can't go out and shake hands anymore. You can't have, you know, gatherings anymore. So you have to do it this way. I don't know where this is all going to go. I have no idea, although we will be getting into this a little later with, with your thoughts. But, um, you know, perhaps what, it, what we're facing right now might give us an overhaul just because we have no other choice. It may not be like but we can just go back to the way it was. You know what well, I mean? Well, and, and I, I just want to throw this out there. And I, I don't like... I don't like being a canary in a coal mine. I, I just have to put that out there. Yeah. Like, I think there are a lot of people, um, and again, this is a precursor because I feel like we are in now in an era of precursors specifically in order, because these are conversations we have to have and they have to be nuanced. And this, this culture is not good at nuance. No. <laughs> and that is one of the reasons why we are in the situation that yeah. we are. And, and so yes. I just want to, I just want to start and say, um, you know, I really, I don't want to be the person who is writing this stuff. I don't want to be the person who is warning people of this stuff. But unfortunately, 
unfortunately it has to happen. Yeah. We're having this conversation with the assumption that there will be elections. Right. Um, we're having, and, 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 you know, people will say that's fear mongering. It's not. No, it isn't. I, I was talking about this. Um, uh, so I host a podcast called the Muckrake and we were talking about this last week and I was saying, you know, there is a way that a person who wants to cancel an election can convince themselves. An election is a perfect place to spread a disease like this. Mm-hmm. There's uh, particularly, you know, the, the people who run the polls are usually retired people who yes. are the most susceptible. Um, it is a gathering of people. Mm-hmm. Um, voting means that you have to touch things, mm-hmm. you have to hand things over, you have to stand in proximity to each other. Mm-hmm. There's a way that a person who wants to cancel an election can talk themselves into canceling an election right mm-hmm. now. So that's the first thing is we have to we have to talk about this assumption that and it's, it's terrible. We have to talk about the fact that society might not look the way that we think it's going to look in a couple of months. Yeah. And and so while we're having this conversation, that is one part. We also need to be able to have a conversation about what politics have been. Mm-hmm. And what you just said is exactly right. The way that things are like handled and the way communicated from a candidate to a party to a people. And there's a weird rhetorical thing that happens in all of this. And there's a history in the Democratic Party. Of there being an institutional wing of it, which right mm-hmm. now is Joe Biden and, uh, you know, the DNC and these people who have been holding offices for a long time and controlling the power and the purse strings. There's always been a war between the quote unquote establishment and outsiders. Mm-hmm. That has just been how the Democratic Party works. And it's going to work that way for a long time. And only occasionally does an outsider actually win the nomination, including Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is one of those situations where you're exactly right. I, I, I look back now, particularly on how Elizabeth Warren was treated and how the yeah. entire narrative went down and I'm just disgusted yeah. and and it is very obvious I think for people who want to talk about strategy or movement or political science that Elizabeth Warren if not for things like misogyny and media narratives might have very well been the candidate who could thread that needle yeah. between the establishment and and this idea of major massive change um, this whole thing I I don't know how you make this work. I don't know how you take the idea that we somehow or another need to get somebody in office who can at least be competent and capable and isn't going to abuse power mm-hmm. um, while also fixing the mass problems that we have, which, again, I mean, we, before we talked, I mean, the, the stock market cratered again. I know. And it's going to continue to mm-hmm. crater because this economy is not built to be sustainable and it's right. not meant to be humane. And it's part of the reason we're in this mess. And and so you have to somehow or another thread that needle. And right now it's even harder than it's ever been before because we are facing crisis. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this is something that I'm thinking. And, and I mean, I, I will say this, as far as Biden's performance last night, he uh, just, just in his, you know, people are saying he has dementia and everything. And it's clearly to me, it does not appear he has dementia. Yeah. He's older and, and yes, he, um, has a stutter that he's overcoming and he was certainly not my first choice at all. Uh, I believe that any of the women with the exception of Tulsi were capable of being, being the president of the United States, any of them, some I preferred obviously over than others, but still I would have preferred any of them. Julian Castro any of them, but this is what we've got. I, you know, I think what got us here was fear. Fear made us vote for, you know, or, or come down to these two people. And I'm looking at this situation and I don't know Joe Biden's health. 
right? I mean, he seems to be okay. But there's a question there. Clearly, people are talking about it. And so I've often wondered that, okay, so he's going to he's going to not surprisingly choose a woman as his vice president. And I just keep wondering, you know, is he going to step down during his first term? Is it, you know, not because he's maybe just because he can't handle it. Maybe it's going to be too much for him with his health. I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, he's not going to have the energy or the stamina to deal with whatever it's going to take to be a president in a post-Trump world. I mean, we're still going to have Trumpism, but Trump will be gone and there's going to be so much to, uh, to handle. And obviously Joe would surround himself with capable people. He's going to have the help of Barack Obama. And I think a lot of help from Barack Obama, but I look at the situation with Warren and I think maybe, you know, I don't know if he's going to choose Warren as his vice president, but he said that he would, you know, nominate a black woman to the Supreme court, which, you know, leads people to wonder. And I know there's a lot of people out there who want it to be Kamala and you know what, whoever he, he's probably already decided who he's going to have for his vice president. And we can all debate about it all day long but it's already been decided but just on the hypothetical you know it's like whether it's Harris or Abrams or Warren or somebody else that we don't even you know haven't even thought of I think that there is a chance that that person might become the president in the first four years and you know and I wonder and this is just me kind of going off into tangent and wondering I mean I don't know what you think about it but you know maybe because I don't know if the country when the country would be ready to vote for a woman. You know, I just, I just don't know. And perhaps if we had an opportunity to get one, and it's not, it's not my choice that this would happen, but if, but if it were to be whether, you know, he lasts for four years and then the woman runs on her own or she takes over in the middle of a term and then runs on her own, it would give the country an opportunity to feel more comfortable with a woman in a position that high. Um, I, you know, I, I'm trying to take, and you're right, we don't know how this election is going to, you know, if there's going to be an election and all of this is, we're all so fucking scared, but, you know, just going on the assumption we're going to have an election and let's just say Joe Biden wins. Um, I think that there is a possibility that that woman could take over. And if she does, that might be an, an ease into uh, the idea of a woman president. I mean, what do you think of that? Well, so I'll, I'll start with the question of, of Biden's health. Um, so I, I covered the Iowa caucuses um, and, and, you know, went to uh, see Biden in person. And I don't know whether or not he was ill out there, or exhausted, but he didn't look great. And yeah. the Iowa campaign for him was just a complete and utter disaster. And, and even the people in the campaign told me that. Yeah. Um, it's undoubted that he's lost a little bit of a spring and a step, but I don't yeah. buy the dementia thing, no, to be honest. And with the debates, um, and, and this is just the time type of thing i like if i've been watching debates for way too long now and <laughs> studying them for way too long joe biden is terrible in debates mm -hmm. he's it's not his skill and and what's actually surprising about that for anybody who's paid attention to it Barack Obama was terrible in debates, too. He was he terrible just, in that first one with Romney on the second in 2012. Oh, disastrous. <laughs> and he's just always been bad in it because that's not where he does mm -hmm. well. Joe Biden does well after a victory where he gives a three-minute speech. Yeah. <laughs> and he's surrounded by people giving him energy. He's yeah. not good at stumping. He's not. Yeah. And actually, in that way, there there's a possibility that sort of the, uh, the quarantine and the lack of big events could actually help him in that Yes, regard. and I've thought the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And and so then I, I, I have to throw this out there. Um, I, I, this is one of the things I, I railed on this 
for months because, you know, we got to this point where we were talking about electability Mm -hmm. and we were talking about, oh, we have to vote based on how we think others will vote. And and I kept saying we have no idea how any of this stuff works. And and one of the things that you particularly saw with Elizabeth Warren is she was kneecapped both by the concern with supporters and Democratic voters and with the media about the idea that she might not be, quote unquote, electable. Um, I would go so far as to argue that if she would have been on stage last night, that America would be willing to vote for a woman president, particularly a really, really obviously competent mm-hmm. woman president. Mm-hmm. So I, I, this is this is forever going to be one of those political what ifs. Yes. Um, and I think people are going to study this for a long time, how the media treated Elizabeth Warren, how it led to this result. And then again, how immediate the change from the Democratic primary as we knew it to this coronavirus situation mm-hmm. happened. And the simple truth is, and listen, I don't want to put this out in the world, but it's something that we have to talk about. Biden and Sanders are both old men. Yeah. They are susceptible to the coronavirus. Yeah. They are, they are surrounded constantly by other people. They have to do events. They have to travel constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've been talking to experts who have told me that most Americans are going to have coronavirus. Yes. Go through them at some point. Um, who knows? I And, you know, I, I listen, I, it doesn't have to be a conspiracy thing. I, I trust what Donald Trump and the people around him say very little. He has been exposed to plenty of people who have tested mm-hmm. positive for coronavirus. We have no idea if he actually tested negative and, and negative test occasionally. Um you know, hide the fact that you're actually positive for this thing and mm-hmm. you're not exhibiting symptoms. Who knows? Right. This thing, and again, even the assumption we're going to have an election in November is is the, the flip of a coin at this point. Yeah. You cannot predict these things as if they're chess matches. Mm-hmm. Because in a chess match, you can see what's on the board. Yeah. You can imagine what the next move is. There's no board here. Mm-hmm. And there are no pieces here. It's just a constantly changing environment and and you just can't predict these things and and that's one of the reasons i railed against this for a very long time uh now who's he going to choose for his running mate i have literally no idea um i i I felt good about the fact that he mentioned that he he intends to make a vice presidential uh nominee out of a woman i i don't like the pandering aspects of it i would have much rather that he would have said i think this is the reason to do it as opposed Mm -hmm. to it being uh, political, you know, maneuvering, yeah. which, you know, it is. Um, but I also think that he probably went ahead and secured the nomination for himself by uh, saying that he would do that. And Sanders, who, you know, famously tells everyone, I can't stand bullshit, um, <laughs> does, does not like to be pressured. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't like being put in a corner to mm-hmm. make a decision on the spot for political pandering. And he said in all likelihood that he would he would pick a woman for his candidate. But that that hesitance to play the game that Biden right. began, I think, probably secured Biden the nomination. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I don't think any of us know where this thing's going. I really <laughs> don't. And, and, and whether or not it even ends in an election, again, I think is a pretty big assumption. Yeah, well, that I mean, going back to this vacillating, you know, in my, in my life where I'm vacillating between trying to have a sense of humor about it and just trying to think, OK, we're going to get through this. And then what you're talking about, like complete fucking pandemonium and, and total crash of the economy. And, you know, the oddest thing of all of this to me is that my mother is an author and she's just finishing up a book on a global pandemic basically cl- created from the climate crisis. So 
I just read it over Christmas, um, you know, because I'm one of the readers who's looking for holes in the story or whatever. And then, so it's just like, there's this very surreal nature that my mother has written this book and then we're experiencing it every day. I talk to my mom. She's like, Oh my God, it's like my book. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go right now with the assumption of if, if we're all, if we can just keep this virus at bay and then have this bailout, um, perhaps we can have some sense of normalcy and have the election. But then again, like you said, it's a flip of the coin. I do want to just say one thing. Um, I really appreciate your voice here. Um, and I, I hope that you don't feel that you can't say that, like, I don't want you to think that I'm going to be offended by anything you say, because I really take your voice very seriously. I, I believe you're 31 years old. And, I'm 38. Oh, you're 38? <laughs> oh, okay. That, but I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> well, still, I mean, you're, you're younger than I am. I'm going to be 52 this year. And, you know, you, you have a really good, I think that you are um, a voice of reason. And you, you know, I mean, I'm trying to look, I, I try very hard to look at this um, with a common sense approach. And as you said, I mean, I did not want the nominee to be Joe Biden. But now that it looks like it's going to be him, I'm going to support him and I'm going to I'm going to hope that he can win because frankly he said he's a bridge. You know, he's a bridge to the next generation and truth be told, I take him seriously. I I I genuinely take him seriously and I do think that you know, hopefully this all goes down and he wins. If that's the case that he's going to, you know, do things to help what's happening, but basically he's going to be passing the torch. Um, you know, he, he said that. And so I'm trying to get behind it. It's not like I'm like, woohoo, Biden's the best possible choice. No, I don't think that. I think Warren was the best possible choice for us. But, you know, I don't get my way. So I have to watch what's happening. And I'm watching people vote out of fear. But I also, you know, I've also recognized that, you know, the black community has been obviously very vocal with their votes. And they're like, this is who we want. This is who we trust. And even though I don't necessarily uh, share that idea of he's the best choice, I am going to follow their lead. And I'm going to, and I understand it because um, I feel like, you know, I, I, you were talking about nuance, but I think, you know, when you just take the bigger picture and you take nuance out of it, what's happening here is so frightening to people and they want a sense of normalcy and they want a sense of like, oh my God, can we just get back to the way it was? People were afraid to vote for Warren or even Sanders because I think they feel like we don't want to start from scratch. I don't think Warren really gave us a sense of starting from scratch, but it's still the idea of the unknown. Joe is the known. Joe is known and he's, he's connected to a very uh, smart and loved president. And so he just feels like he's the safer choice and clearly has had a very positive relationship with the black community and feels comfortable with them and they feel comfortable with him. And so, you know, that puts us in the situation that we're in. But, you know, going back to what I was saying, I like, I like hearing what you have to say. And if, you know, if you, just in case, if there's something that you think, you know, I don't, I don't want you to feel like you're going to offend me. Go ahead and offend me. Because <laughs> you know? well, I'm not I'll, offended. I'll say this. So, you know, I, I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking lately. So, you know, I, I actually, I, I forget who it was. Um, I believe it was Sarah Benincasa, who is a oh, yeah, comedian okay. and an actress. And she tweeted something the other day and she said, you know, people who were raised up in dysfunctional families, they respond to dysfunctional moments right. with Very a true. little bit more stability and clarity than yeah. maybe is expected. And, and I certainly was raised up 
in in a dysfunctional situation. So one of my things is, um, and, and and let's be let's be frank. Um, society is very um, fragile. Yeah, it's a it's a real, and I think that's one of the things that people aren't really letting themselves believe right now. And mm-hmm. you know, I see all these people, and as a person who like you has has a, a, a mother who is older and susceptible to this thing, you know, my initial reaction when I see people out and in bars and hanging out mm-hmm. and you know defying orders, I'm my first instinct is anger. But then I also come around to the fact and realize that after every major terrorist attack and war and disaster in this country, people have been told to just continue with their lives mm-hmm. and spend money and act as if nothing's wrong. That's yeah. that it's been the message all along. Yeah. Um, and then on top of it, people, I think a lot of the time, it's like driving a car. When you drive a car, you have to forget that you're in danger mm-hmm. because you are. Yeah. Every moment that you're in a car, you're in danger, right? Yeah. And like driving down an interstate doing like 80 in yeah. traffic, like you're in incredible danger. And the only way that you can minimize that danger or, you know, protect you and others around you is to kind of forget the inherent danger of it. Yeah. So, so I think that we forget that society is very fragile. And so I've been looking at this whole thing, and and I think I think we're we're gonna watch some stuff happen that I don't think people are prepared for, yeah. and people are gonna freak out. Yeah. Um. And and so I've been trying to think about the positives of a very bad situation. Yeah. And we'll we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but how we got to this point, I think, and and. So I have this book that's coming out in September where I did all this work. Uh, it's called American Rule, How Nation Conquered the World with Helps People. And I did this work on American history to kind of see how we got to this moment because so much of it has been hidden and misunderstood and, and hidden behind propaganda and misinformation. And it's a very complex thing. Like I had to spend like over a year of all of my time, like throwing myself into this to even begin to understand it. Mm-hmm. And so people have a hard time sometimes of understanding why things have happened and why we've gotten to the place that we're at. This pandemic and the mishandling of this pandemic, I think is going to be a just a flashing neon sign to some people that says, here are the problems mm-hmm. in this society. And my hope, and, and, and again, we've been having this conversation about Democratic nominees for about a year now, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, well, Joe Biden is, you know, a return to normalcy, and do we need to return to normal? And over here, we're talking about a revolution, and, and do we just need to burn everything down and start it back up? Well, things are being burnt down right now. Yes, they are. Without a revolution right. and without somebody being elected, my fear in all of this, the most frightening thing for me, and, and again, I think Joe Biden is a competent person. Mm-hmm. I think that he is a good person. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I if, if he gets the nomination, I think he I think he will. And if we have an election, I will hurt myself voting yeah, for him. Right. <laughs> I will I will hit that touch screen so hard that I will just my finger will shatter. Okay. <laughs> So I, I, I need we need somebody competent yes. at the wheel during all of this. That is important. The fear has been this thing that Biden and people around him have done, which is the idea that as long as we just get Donald Trump out. Right. Everything and everything's will be done. Fine. Right. Exactly. And, and again, I've said I think I said this the last time I was on your podcast. and I'm going to say this until I, I until I can anymore. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is a symptom of a larger disease. Yeah. And you don't get Donald Trump as president without a major, major problem and a bunch of major problems and a bunch of major failures. Getting Joe Biden there um, 
on one hand, I was afraid that it would be this thing where everyone would believe everything was fine and the problems would just fester and it would just reappear, right, as a mm-hmm. chronic disease that just kept yes. going. This is a case, and this is the silver lining, I think, in all of this. This thing, which is going to be awful, and it's going to inflict trauma, and mm-hmm. there's going to be so much hardship from this, and I don't think people understand how much. Mm-hmm. My hope is that it lays bare, at least, the things that we need to do to make this society better. And I will tell you, I have gained a lot of respect and a lot of hope over the past couple days to see Joe Biden adopting plans by Elizabeth Warren and by Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. And this, I think it's a recognition that like, oh, shit's messed up Mm -hmm. and we're going to have to change some things. So that is my hope. And, and I'm watching this and I'm hoping and I, I'm trying really hard in my work to, to let people know how this happened, where the problems are, where the faults lie, because this, uh, this is not just a one-time thing. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and if we're not careful and if we don't do better, if we don't learn, like we're, we're doomed to keep repeating this. Well, that's, that's kind of what I meant earlier when I said this virus might, you know, basically just get us progressivism. You know, I mean, it might, you know, whether we decide we want it or not, whatever we decide at the voting booth, I mean, I'm right there with you. I'm just going to be, you know, all behind Biden if he's the nominee, because the alternative is I can't even think about what that means. So, I mean, it it was one thing before this virus. Now that this virus is here, uh, I I can't even the hellscape. You know, the oddest thing is all my life I, you know have said, I never want to live in a Blade Runner society. (laughs) It's like, okay, it's not necessarily a Blade Runner society, but it's kind of close in that it's just fucking desperate and awful. I don't know how you felt, but watching the press conference where Donald Trump, who has completely mishandled Mm -hmm. this thing and put hundreds of thousands, if not millions of American lives Mm -hmm. in danger, was flanked by corporate CEOs. Mm -hmm. And they, one after another, came up to the mic, Mm -hmm. and it was an ad for their company. Yes, And and for me, and and I have to tell you, uh, uh, just real fast, I'm so sorry because I'm still pissed off about this. I come from a rural Indiana town that was destroyed by Walmart. Wow. They came in, they set up shop, they used used people's desires against them and economic Mm -hmm. insecurity against them. They destroyed my town. They made sure that everybody in my town had lower wages. They didn't have health care. They made sure they were denied basic human dignity. And now the people in my family who have lived shorter, sicker lives because of them are going to have to drive to Walmart and get tested in the shadow of Walmart. Mm -hmm. It is the ultimate indignity. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I'm halfway expecting I, I don't know, probably today, tomorrow, Wednesday, the more this stuff gets out of control, I'm definitely expecting Trump to like sell the naming rights to the Corona pandemic to somebody. Yeah. 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 You I know, mean, I'm, I'm with you because that's, that's what's happening. This is a giant corporate hyper capitalistic problem yeah. and they're trying to solve it via corporate hyper capitalistic strategy. And I'm with you. This is, this is how you get Blade Runner. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, I mean, I I just I feel like what's happening is just there is this tear. Like you said, it's burning down on its own and we're just going to have to 
figure out how to pick up the pieces. And, you know, while we're arguing about progressivism and centrists and moderates and all this shit, because I mean, I consider myself progressive. I'm all the way progressive, but I'm also realistic because I understand, you know, take the virus out of the story. Um, I understand we live in a country with people who are moderate and people who are very, you know, conservative. And so there's got to be, if we all lived in a house together, we would have to make compromise in order to keep peace. And it doesn't necessarily mean the compromise that we make would be the absolute best and healthiest for us, but it's a way to coexist. And, you know, but this virus now changes everything and it literally could burn everything down. And then we will have to start from not complete scratch, but almost scratch because I don't know what this is going to lead. I don't know where this is going to lead. But like you said, with a hopeful, um, you know, thought on this after whatever wretchedness we all experience, there's, you know, maybe we will get to a place. I, people are so, af- I don't understand why people so are so afraid of progress. I mean, progressivism is progress. And, you know, I, I it, it seems scary to, you know, say, oh, we're going to, we're going to raise your taxes. But I wish that, you know, the one thing I will say that I wish Bernie and Elizabeth were more, clear is and they're not and i think they're not because of the way it would be treated in the press explaining how the taxes are going to be less than whatever you're paying for your medical um you know i mean it it, it, it's not that difficult because you can just take models from canada or from france and you can explain okay here's what they pay and you know even though we don't know exactly what those numbers would be right now because it has to be worked out um we could have a a a decent idea and and tell everybody it's like okay if you're paying twelve hundred dollars a month right now for your medical expenses you can Get rid of that, and then maybe your taxes are going to be raised six hundred. So you're saving six hundred dollars, or however they would. I wish they would be clearer about that because there is this, you know, we hear the term taxes, and everybody freaks the fuck out. That freaks out. Now, I'm not paying higher taxes. I'm, my taxes aren't going to go for you. And it's like, if it would just be explained, but you know, it might get to the point where we don't have to explain anything because we're starting from scratch. <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and, and the American, the history of this is just, and again, this is one of the reasons I feel so much anger because again, it's my family, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and it's the people that I love and it's, it's just all these people I see suffer through this thing. It's all a result of political maneuvering in bad faith. Mm-hmm. And the reason why you can't make that argument, the reason why you can't say Canada or France and show that chart or even talk one second about raising taxes is because for years and years and years, the Republican Party Mm -hmm. particularly and the corporate people who have flooded billions of dollars in order to fight all of them, not Mm -hmm. just billions, it's probably tens of billions at this point, if not Mm -hmm. hundreds of billions over the years, um, they, they have fought tooth and nail to label even the most conservative reform mm-hmm. as socialistic yes. and communistic. Mm-hmm. And, 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 it, and if you look back, and this is one of those things, I, I, I talked about this the other day on my podcast too. Um, you know, I don't know why William Crystal follows me on Twitter. It is really <laughs> bizarre to me. Um, I, I, I follow him back because I really enjoy watching these dyed in the wool, you know, H.W. Bush, <laughs> yeah. W. Bush guys 
suddenly talk about how you know troubling and dangerous the Republican Party is. It's one of the few things that gives me joy recently. Yeah, that they helped create, yeah. Right. And so like <laughs> William Crystal and, and I wrote about this in the book, like it was like in the nineteen nineties when Bill Clinton, who in any rational era could have moved from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party mm-hmm. just very easily because they actually, you know, reproduced Reagan's talking points. They reproduced Reagan's policy. And and again that doesn't mean that he was a bad president. That doesn't mean that, mm-hmm. that you're wrong if you voted for him, all these things. But we need to understand that the spectrum of politics is not what we think it is. Yeah. He was, he was at best a centrist Democrat, if not a right-leaning Democrat. Mm-hmm. So he, he's getting ready to push this uh, modest reform of, of health care. And if you go back and you look at the coverage of it and a Republican response to it in the very beginning, mm-hmm. and this is when Hillary Clinton is going up and testifying before Congress. Mm-hmm. They loved her. Mm-hmm. They loved yeah. her. She was exa- – and, and by the way, why wouldn't they? She was originally a Republican. Like she she was they, – they treated her so well. You had Republican senators and Republican congressmen. They were just absolutely charmed by her. And in the press, they were like, we think she's going to get this done, and we're really excited to work together. And then all of a sudden, all of the Republican think tanks – led in the beginning by William Crystal, start putting out these papers. They're like, hey, Republicans, if you help a Democratic president pass health care reform, it will both be effective and it will be popular. Mm-hmm. And you're never going to win another election. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so they made a conscious political bad faith uh, 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 argument that they would be against it. And that is what has happened for decades now. Even with Obamacare, Obamacare was originally a Heritage Foundation plan. It was cooked up by Republicans. It was enacted by Mitt Romney Romney, in Massachusetts. It was a Republican plan that Republicans decided to get on TV. (laughs) And this is one of the like one of the greatest shames in modern history. They got on TV and said it was a new world order plot, a tyrannical plot. And time after time after time, they have poisoned the well of discourse and political debate. And so they have created a situation where Americans have not. And and by the way, I, 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 this is not hyperbole right now. What they're doing by going on TV and the, in the modern Fox news viewer Mm -hmm. is an elderly white American. Mm -hmm. They are going on TV and actively putting their viewers in danger. Yes, they are. And and, and by the way, just real fast, and, and, and this is a thing people need to understand, because I was talking about this on Twitter the other day, and people are like, why would they do that? That's not a not a smart business model. Hypercapitalism says that you make money right now. Mm-hmm. You don't think about mm-hmm. consequences. This is how corporations sell cigarettes that they know are going to kill their customers. This is how corporations, um, you know, they, they, they put things in, in, in their, in, in their products that can cause cancer mm-hmm. and they, they're not worried about it right now and we'll deal with it later mm-hmm. if we have to. And hypercapitalism says, yeah, you might kill off your customers, but you're going to make profit right now. Right. And we'll figure it out later on. Yeah. And that is what the Republican party has done and done and done. Yeah. And it has led to this situation and it's going to kill thousands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the estimate is somewhere between 40 and 70% of the country is going to get this disease. And I mean, I just, I, I just worry so much about my own family. And every time that is brought up, it's like it sends like chills down my fucking spine. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you wrote that article, The Corporate Pandemic, How America's Hypercapitalism Laid the Groundwork for Disaster. And there it is. I mean, it's... And I'm sure there's a lot more to it. Um, but I also, I wanted, 
and you can talk about that if you want to if you want to say first this and then that but i also you did a thread and you said this is the cycle of authoritarianism and i just want you to kind of give us like the the overview on that yeah so so i did this research on this this book um which i, I wish was coming out now because yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of feel, I, I i emailed my agent the other day i was like i did not mean to write the explanation of how we got to a, a pandemic that I didn't expect. Yeah. You know, that's not how it started, but that's what this has ended up being. When I started doing the research on this book, I, I, you know, I, I had a general understanding of authoritarianism and fascism. Mm -hmm. And, and by, by like a working understanding, I mean the stuff where it's like, what hobbyists know, you know, yeah. it's like reading a book here and there mm -hmm. or watching these documentaries that are always on and just sort of like, you know, noodling around on the edges. Well, the story of authoritarianism that most people know is all wrong. And, and part of the reason it's wrong is because the American understanding of authoritarianism, um, America always sort of teeters on the bridge of this. Mm -hmm. It always does. And and it's it capitalism is directly related to authoritarianism. It's the idea that people who are quote unquote in the know or are powerful are the most worthy to rule and mm -hmm. everybody else is just in the way. Laws are in the way, voters are in the way. If they can get out of the way, everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. So there's always like a really loose relationship between hypercapitalism and uh, fascism. And so I, I had always been told this story that authoritarians were strong men who get things done, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, they hurt people and they kill people, but they quote unquote make the trains run on time. That's not true. Mm -hmm. It's a complete falsehood. Yeah. And it's always been a falsehood. Authoritarians are inherently insecure men who um, they respond to cultural crisis by rising um, by raising up a movement of other insecure men. And these are men who overperform masculinity. They, you know, they wear their uniforms, they do their salutes, they, there's this militaristic um, you know ethos around them. And then they raise up and they get in power. And when they get in power, and they do it by vilifying uh, minorities, mm -hmm. vulnerable populations, and by exploiting paranoia, by, mm -hmm. by touting conspiracy theories, what happens is they get in power and they are completely incompetent. Mm -hmm. They're always incompetent. And here's the reason why. These insecure men, these authoritarians, these so-called strong men are completely incapable of organizing. Yeah. They don't trust anybody. Yeah. The, their entire management philosophy is to make the people below them engage in wars over their affection, which means that they don't trust the people and the people don't trust each other. So they're constantly in this state of like civil war underneath them. So they can't organize. And if something does organize, they start to view that organization as a threat to mm -hmm. their power. And they destroy it. They sabotage it. They don't. It's not something that they intend to do, but they cannot let that happen. Yeah. They also cannot um, respect experts because if you respect an expert, that means that that expert might know something that you do not. Right. This is why Donald Trump went to the CDC and in front of all these scientists and, and researchers was like, I know all this stuff. Everybody's asking me, how do you know this stuff so well? This is the reason. And, and I wish more people would write about this and look into this. This is the reason why like someone like an Adolf Hitler was so bad at war. He he didn't believe his generals. He didn't believe the people underneath him who were experts in things. And he needed to put his thumb on mm -hmm. the scale. Right. So and, and if somebody actually was competent underneath him, he would destroy them. 
he would undermine them because yeah. he, you know they can't help it. So what ends mm-hmm. up happening is that authoritarians create a crisis because they're incompetent. Right. It can be an economic crisis. It can be a border crisis. It can be a war crisis. There's some kind of crisis that they create. And the more that they are exposed that they are incompetent. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why they take control of the media. They need state propaganda. Mm-hmm. They need people who take their failures and turn them into successes. Mm-hmm. This is what we've been seeing with the Trump administration yes. all this time. So eventually there's a crisis. And it becomes clear that they are incompetent. So what an authoritarian does, they start blaming conspiracies, they start blaming vulnerable populations, Mm -hmm. and the worse that it gets, they start eating around at the edges of emergency powers. They start uh, knocking down democratic institutions and Mm -hmm. democratic checks and balances, and they start going into themselves and saying the only thing that can save us is if I take care of it yeah. and I have to have the ultimate power and then the hierarchy starts to collapse yeah. completely and unfortunately and this is the thing that I keep trying to tell people and I wish they would listen to um, we in America we have trusted the presidency way too much Yes, the executive branch has been given so much power because there has been an agreement among the ruling elite in this country. Well, we're all in this for the right reason. No one one would ever abuse emergency powers. Who would ever use a FEMA in -hmm. this way? Who would ever use another country to interfere in an election? And the problem is they all thought that they were all patriots at heart, with the best interests of the country at heart. And they forget that there are people like Richard Nixon Mm -hmm. and Donald Trump who are are totally self-absorbed and Dick insecure <laughs> and terminally narcissistic and who will get in and use this stuff. And unfortunately, this is one of those situations where we have someone in power who is an authoritarian and and, and is at the front of a fascist movement. Mm-hmm. And now that we have a crisis, um, it's only predictable how this thing's going to play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, he's also not very bright. So, you know, what's interesting, though, I'm watching the Hillary documentary on Hulu and they are going over um, when Hillary and Trump debated. And there is a noticeable difference in his performance. I don't know what else to call it. Um, he, he's still capable of going on stage and saying a bunch of bullshit, is, which, which he did four years ago. But there is a difference in his delivery. He is definitely showing signs of decline and you know i mean i don't even know what that means i i i don't even you know he was he supposedly was tested for coronavirus and um you know supposedly he's negative i don't know i guess if he's not negative we'll find out soon enough although he seems to have you know his doctor um his fake doctor gave us that fake thing about how he's one of the healthiest people that he's ever seen. And it does seem for some weird reason, Donald Trump has got some kind of crazy fucking luck because he, he you know, I guess because he never smoked and he, he wasn't somebody who drank alcohol. Um, you know, he's got an advantage there, even though he's overweight and, you know, he takes various forms of medication. I think he's, I think he takes something for alopecia. Is that, or he takes alopecia. Uh, is, is that a drug? God, I'm, I'm so confused. I don't even know if alopecia is an actual condition or a drug. No, it's a condition. Thank you. I, I'm so not he takes sure something he for takes. it. I know he takes something for, I think he has cholesterol problems, all that stuff. But the, the, the simple truth is he, he's an at-risk person who has shown, and we don't need to get into the particulars, he has shown a propensity for not being, for a quote-unquote germaphobe, he takes incredible Exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, he's shaking everybody's hand all the time. And it's like, you know, they're doing things at Mar-a-Lago where he's constantly coming in contact with people with coronavirus and he's not doing anything about it. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. I just, this, this whole thing is just overwhelming. I feel so completely overwhelmed and I don't, you know, I mean, I, I, I like listening to you, but of course, listening to you is scary, but you're just telling the truth. You know, I mean, and well, we, need to, we need to know the truth. I, well, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's like one of those things where I meet people out in the world. Well, not anymore, considering we're all know, shut right? in and, and waiting, you know, <laughs> waiting for the apocalypse here. When I've met people out in the world and they tell me they're like, I follow you on Twitter. I'm like, I'm sorry. Oh. I, I really do. I, I wish. And again, this is one of those situations where, I, you know, I'll just give you a quick little um, anecdote. Um, I, I don't like flying. I me never. Neither. I've never liked flying. You know, there are things I like about it. I like airport culture. I don't like turbulence <laughs> yeah. at all. It, and, and part of it is a need for control. Yeah. Right. And and it's like one of those things where it starts happening and I just like grip my seat because it feels like I need to brace myself, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. But I, I'm one of those people that, you know, I had to start flying for my career and all this stuff and it wasn't negotiable anymore. Yeah. So I decided I was going to learn about flying. I, I went and I researched everything from weather to what turbulence was, and I just I immersed myself in it. And this is one of those situations that when I started following the Trump campaign in 2015 and 2016, I started recognizing something was happening. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have to learn about this thing. And the problem is that most of us, again, it's that idea of we take for granted that everything will be fine. And that tomorrow will look like today, yeah. right? That somehow or another we have entered cruise control mm -hmm. and, and everything's going to be fine. The unfortunate truth is that we are beset on all sides by some really frightening things. Yeah. And we've been driving without thinking about driving for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And these things um, were coming. The pandemic, uh, unfortunately, if you listen to experts, I've been talking to a lot of them in recent days. They knew something like this was coming. Yeah. You just you cannot in an era of climate change and deforestation and the growth of human society going into, um, you know, animal populations and animal mm -hmm. places. You this was this was inevitable. And, and quite frankly, with the structure of neoliberalism and globalism, this is what happens. Mm -hmm. And it was always coming, and particularly with the, the problems in the healthcare system and the way that we devalue humans over profit, this thing was going to happen. It was going to happen bad. So I, I feel bad about having to bring these bad tidings, but this is one of those moments where, you know, we're going to be indoors for a couple of weeks, if yeah. not a couple of months. Right. Who knows? For the people who are listening, this is a great time to educate yourself. <laughs> The books are out there. The sources are out there. I had to I had to take the time and the effort to like go through all this stuff. This is a good time to understand what's happening, because once you understand it, it helps. Yeah. And and it sounds frightening to somebody who isn't exposed to this stuff and isn't aware of this stuff. But the more that you learn about it, the more control over it you can start to have mm -hmm. and and it's not fun to sit there and read Hannah Arendt's you know the origins of totalitarianism and it's not it's not fun to go online and read Benito Mussolini's writings mm -hmm. right but they tell you right they tell you exactly 
how this stuff works and exactly what's going to happen because this is an archetype that has existed for as long as humans and power have coexisted and and this is a thing that's coming and this is a thing that we're unfortunately going to have to deal with and we need to know about it before it happens and that way we can we can do something about it Yes. And, you know, I mean, just in ending, our, you know, in closing, I should say, um, I think a perfect example, and I, mean, I used to smoke cigarettes like a freaking idiot. Um, fortunately, I stopped and my cat is saying hello because she always has to say hello. Um, I don't know what it is. I have the microphone out and she's like, oh, my God, I have to be on. But I, I like to um, kind of take this example of smoking where we all know all every smoker knows it's bad for you. Every smoker knows that it's damaging your lungs, that you're opening yourself up to lung cancer, emphysema, and whatever else. Yet you continue to smoke. And, you know, I mean, it's like my grandmother died of lung cancer, and my cousin and I were in the parking lot smoking. And, you know, my sister said something to me like, oh my God, can you believe that our cousin was smoking? And it's like, well, I was smoking too. Of course I can believe it because you're addicted. But it's more than just being addicted. It's living in denial. And we're all very good at that. And, you know, I mean, you can hear about people dying who smoke cigarettes and then it gives you anxiety. So you run for the cigarette, you know, to calm your immediate anxiety. And so I think what you're talking about here is it's true. It's like it's almost telling a smoker, educate yourself on what smoking is going to do to you because then it'll make it easier to quit because you'll have a better understanding of what you're up against. And I think the idea is we have, you know, we are a society or maybe just a uh, human nature is I want to avoid what I don't like. I want, and, and what our culture I think has done has coddled that and has made us feel much more comfortable ignoring. It's like you said in the beginning of this podcast, we don't like nuance and the new nuance is everything. And so it, it is important to educate ourselves. And, you know, maybe, you know, in your hopeful uh, commentary earlier, part of that hope for me might be that people start taking a little bit more responsibility because we are literally all in this together. This is all of us. And, yeah. you know, we're in this frightening time right now. And we can, you know, the truth is we've put, I mean, we've put ourselves in this position. You know, it's the... Um, the book my mother is writing, um, you know, the, the pandemic starts like because of the climate, you know, I mean, it's different than this one. She has a different, you know, way that it started, but it's, um, we could have prevented this at least. I mean, there's always going to be shit. We can't prevent, prevent all the shit, but I, I'm just going to encourage my listeners to take your advice because, it's, it seems like it's easier to live in denial, but it isn't because denial puts us in a situation where we are right now. And I just read something that the airlines all might be bankrupt by the end of May. That's not easier. <laughs> it's easier to know the truth, even though the, it's, it's just like the uncomfortable truth, the, you know, the Al Gore thing, the inconvenient truth. We have to get over ourselves and we have to accept the inconvenient truth so we can better prepare for them. And, and we need to and we need to move from being a reactionary society yes. to an understanding society. I I, I, I want to say a couple things real fast because sure. I'm glad you brought up the airlines and and I want to talk about the fact that this is going to get even scarier. Yeah. So first things first, um, you know I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day and you know with these airlines, I want people to think about this when an airline goes bankrupt because of this. I know that it's a really frightening thing that a big corporation could go bankrupt. 
I also want people to think about the fact that the corporations who are going to go bankrupt, these airlines, are airlines that have put people in danger. Yes. They are airlines that have continually added more and more and more seats. Yes. In order to make more profit off of every flight, um, you know, and, and not just to the detriment of people's comfort, mm -hmm. to their health. Yes. There's a reason why right now people don't want to fly. And and it is in part because obviously that is a mass gathering and all this stuff. But we've also created an inhuman way to treat people. Yes. You you pay twenty dollars for like, you know, six extra extra inches of space. Mm -hmm. We've we've created this thing where it's like we we you know, you pay a little bit of extra money and you get to move on before everybody else and like sort of parade in front of them your status. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so that's one of those things. We need to take a look at these corporations that have made these decisions and engaged in inhuman considerations. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's number one. Number two, in not being a reactive society. So I in the in the past few days and this is one of those things where like you see it and you remember it and it'll probably be seared in your mind for a long time i'm seeing more ambulances hmm. right i'm and, and undoubtedly it is the elderly people mm -hmm. in my neighborhood yeah um we're gonna see a lot of that yeah we're gonna see a lot of ambulances going we're gonna be watching um, and this is just the sad truth. In a couple of days, probably in a week's time, um, we're going to turn on the news and we're going to see hospitals overrun. Yes. We're going to be hearing horror stories mm -hmm. uh, of people dying. We're going to be hearing from, you know, first responders who had to make terrible decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to lose people. I mean, probably yeah. everyone listening to this is at least going to know somebody who knows somebody who loses somebody, yeah. if not everybody, depending upon how bad this gets taken care of. There are options. We can react to it by being scared, mm -hmm. or we can react to it by saying, how did that happen? And what is the thing that led to that, as opposed to, holy shit, what now? Right. And... We need to look at how healthcare has been treated and how these people, and, and again, this is the thing that gets lost in all of this coverage, and it makes me so sad and it makes me so angry. How did these people get their underlying conditions? Yeah. They live in a society that means that you get these conditions. You get high blood pressure, you get diabetes, and it's all of these like companies that have created products that are super addictive mm -hmm. and they prey on poor people. And on top of that, the poor people and the entire construction of our economy has been based on hyper profits by making sure that people are paid lower wages mm -hmm. and denied healthcare. And they don't get preventative healthcare, they get reactionary healthcare. Yeah. And we need to look at how that happened. We in this and, and this isn't just the way that we need to work in order to make it better. It's the way that we need to work so we don't panic and lose everything. Yes. We we have to construct something better after this. And it is going to be horrifying and frightening, but we have to look at it, consider it, learn from it, and grow from it. Because if we don't, it's gonna happen again and this will be just just a, a continuing cycle. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I just can only agree with you. I mean, and it's, it, it is, it's like, I mean, I just keep thinking of my parents and it's like, please, please spare my parents. Please, please spare my parents. I mean, just thinking about it makes me want to cry. But, you're, but I, you're right. I tell you. You're right. Everything you're saying is right. And I totally, I 
fucking hate crying, but on my podcast, but you're, you know, I mean, I've been going back and forth, you know, for the last three days where it's like, I go on Twitter and I can find my, um, you know, my sarcasm or whatever it is, or my sense of humor. And then I do this, what I'm doing right now. I see something come down my feed and it just, it just gets to me. So, you know, I apologize for losing it right now, but mm-hmm. what you're saying is absolutely right. And, and we need, we need to get leadership. You know, I mean, I look at somebody like Elizabeth Warren, I don't want to make her into a saint or a God or anything like that, but you know, she's somebody that I look to and say, she can recognize, um, preventable, you know, she, she's the one to work preventatively and we need more people like her to work preventatively so that things like, you know, if there is a pandemic that we can have a better grasp on it and that everything isn't going to fall to shit because obviously with Donald Trump, it is, <laughs> you know, I mean, just, it just is. And I'll just end on this. And I, and I know that this, you know, may turn certain people off, but, um, and I don't live my life by this at all, but during the, uh, break, the break before, um, you know, like the Christmas break, I was filled with anxiety and I was worried about what was coming up this year. And so I, I, when I do that, I kind of like to, I, I'll go read like astrology because I wanted to see, is somebody going to predict that Donald, and not that I even believe in ast- astrological predictions per se, but it's just like, I was like hungry to see somebody predicting that Trump was going to fail and, and that, you know, the Democrats would win. So I just happened upon that we are in this particular um, astrological uh, what do you like? I don't know what a climate that uh, same thing happened in World War One. Uh, there was a global pandemic in 1918, and you know there was 9/11 and the AIDS thing um, breaking out. And I just I feel like I don't know if there's really you know I mean I don't I don't put a whole lot of stock into it, but I always like to just wonder. You know, it's like, I wonder about these things. And from what I found is we are in this, we are in this astrological aspect that is creating, um, (laughs) like it's talking about banks and government, how government is running and it's all fit. It all fits in what, what's happening right now. And it just, it just trips me out. And so I, I look at it in a bigger, like karmic, like I look at a karmic situation. We have put ourselves here, like you said, we have done this to ourselves. And so we are going to have to be the ones to repair it. And I mean, I just brought the astrology thing up just only because I thought it was like, wow, you know, in, in, in past, uh, I don't know what it's called when the stars are aligned this way, but when the stars were aligned this way, you know, we had all these world wars and pandemics and wars and, or, you know, uh, different things that were crazy, you know, and stock, stock market crashes and all this. And it's all happening now, just like it was at that time. And I feel like, okay, fine. This is not, I don't think it's in the stars per se, because I think we could have prevented it. I think we could have been smart about this. And I I wish that we were. And so hopefully we will be. I just want to say real fast on, on all of this that, and, and, you know, I've been quarantined now for five, six days, who knows who can keep track anymore. Right. Of of what the actual calendar says and what I have noticed. And, and I I really appreciate that you obviously wear your heart on your sleeve and that you had a a genuine emotional connection. And I want to point out something that happened there. And and I, I I hope people can hear this. And I, I, I'm prizing intimacy Mm -hmm. more 
in genuine humanness because yeah. the opposite of that is how we got here. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, we're on your podcast. I have a podcast. I have a book. I have like a Twitter presence, whatever you want to call it. So much of that stuff is based in branding yeah. and business and trying to maintain corporate business distance. And here we are alone in our houses, yeah. afraid of a giant pandemic that's keeping us apart. And one of the things that we have to do, I truly believe this, is we have to rediscover the humanity that branding and business and, and profit ideas have kept us from. Yeah. We, this is a time to be scared. It's a time to cry. It's a time to come together and support each other and be real and be genuine because the opposite of that is what led to this. And I, I just, I just want to say like, that's a genuine human thing. And I, I really appreciate that. And I hope that the people who are listening and who are afraid and, and can, can look at themselves. I think we have to start remembering how to be human again. Yeah, And we have to remember how to be kind because that humanness and that kindness and the rejection of corporate profit philosophy is what's going to lead to us reforming this thing and taking care of each other and valuing each other instead of seeing each other as zero-sum opponents for profit and yes. wealth and fame. And when we when we fight like that and we engage in trench warfare instead of engaging as a supportive human society, all of a sudden the deaths pile up. Yeah. That, that is how it always works. And the antidote to fascism, the antidote to authoritarianism is, is humanness. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that. And I, I just want to say, I really appreciate that. And for anybody listening, I really, really urge you reject that stuff and, and start finding who you are again. Well, thank you. And uh, and as always, I mean, thank you for being on the show. Last time you were on, I just want to say that people really enjoyed the conversation we had. And I always do. And of course, I'm going to invite you back at some point. And hey, literally, <laughs> I, what else am I doing? I would love to come on here whenever you can have me. Well, thank you, Jared. Thank you again for your voice of reason. And, and I appreciate you, you have such an important uh, message. And so if you're not following him, where do they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at JY. Oh, did I? It lose? is the, the muckrake, and I host the. Okay, well, just FYI, you went out there, so I'm going to repeat that. It's JY Sexton, and that it's at JY Sexton and the muckrake. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put all of your information in the text of the Patreon um, description of the show, so it'll all be there. I urge everybody to follow him. Uh, looking forward to your book, and thank you so much, Jared. Thank you so much. Sorry about that. I'm not really sure what happened, but oh, uh, just... here we are, and I love talking <laughs> to you. Take care, okay? Take care. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Well, that was a sobering show, wasn't it? <laughs> I cried and everything. I hate it when I cry on the podcast, but I'm sure I will in future podcasts. And then I just also want to be real quick. Um, you know, I brought up this astrology thing, and it's it's something that I'm not going to get too much involved in right now. Although I actually might do a patrons-only podcast talking about my experiences when I used to call psychic people and stuff. I mean, did it when I was in my 20s and 30s, and I don't really do it so much anymore. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, during the December break, I was um, so filled with anxiety, and like, I just, I, I kept like, I think I was looking for psychics or for astrologists to predict Trump's downfall. 
I think that's really what I was looking for more than anything. And interestingly, um, they did predict it, although, you know, I don't know, whatever. Um, the odd thing is, is in one of the sites that I found, it was a number of psychics who were predicting, you know, something was going to happen to Trump, whether he would leave office or something, you know, maybe he would get sick um, in March. So we're in March. But the weird thing about that is that, you know, Bob Seska, my boyfriend, wrote an article for Salon last year because he and I both had heard some things um, and I can't be very specific about it, but it is in Republican circles that something something was going to go down in March with Trump. And now this is from reliable Republican sources that I can't be very specific about. Okay, so that was back last year. And then Sherry Jacobus, who was on the show um, a while back, when Trump went to the hospital for his annual, for his, okay, air quote, annual exam, and he did it early, and just the first part of it, what the fuck was that? Sherry Jacobus was all over the place saying, okay, this is uh, Trump setting it up so that he can leave. If, you know, shit goes down and he's got this health excuse. Oh, I'm, I'm not healthy and I, I've been going to the doctor and I can't, I can't be present anymore. So she was saying that that might happen. And if I'm not mistaken, and I could be, I could be. But I think she mentioned March. So I just think it's funny. It's like weird. And we're in March. And like, look at March. March is fucking crazy. Um, anyway, I, I'm not necessarily going to apologize for crying but I, I, I feel bad because I know that we're all going through this difficult time. And, and, you know, my goal for this show is, especially right now, you know, while we're going through this terrible, I don't even know what to call it, crisis, um, I, I not only want to inform and inspire and entertain, but I also want us to feel like we are a community because we're all scared. You know, we're all frightened about, what's to come. The unknown is out there. We don't know what's going to happen. And I think that's probably um, the biggest part of our fear is what's going to happen. Are we going to have elections? What's going to happen to our economy? How many people are going to be hurt? How many people are going to die? We don't know. You know, and it's like, I hate thinking about all this shit, but how can you avoid it? This is what our reality is right now. And so, you know, I want to first of all, thank you very much. I say this every show, but I so sincerely mean it. I am so grateful for your support of this show. This show is everything I have right now. I mean, outside of my, you know, Bob and, and my family. But I mean, this is, this is my career. This is, I want to build this into something bigger. And of course, my fears are, are you know, what's going to happen with this? How, how, how is this going to keep going on? I, I, I hope, I hope that I can keep doing this. I hope that I can afford to keep doing this. And you who support me help make that happen. And I, and I also, I just want to say this. Um, I know that there's going to be people affected out there financially. And if you have to go, you have to go. I understand. And I appreciate you. And I appreciate um, your support. You know, I, and again, I apologize for being so emotional, but it's just so freaking scary. I hate this. 
why couldn't we have just had a normal election, right? You know, and, and beat the shit out of Trump and that would be the end of it. But no, we have to have a fucking pandemic. And I'm, and I'm worried for you guys. I'm worried for my parents. I'm worried for, you know, I know there are people who listen to my show who are not so young and I, I worry about you. And so just, you know, I, I, please stay safe and do, take every precaution. Just know that we're, we have to be smart about this and we will get through this together and hopefully we'll come out smarter. Okay. So <laughs> on Wednesday, my guest is going to be a disabled activist. Um, she's funny. She was a Warren supporter. Her name is May soon. She's on Twitter. Um, she's going to be a fascinating conversation. So I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, we're going to, I know Stephanie is home. She's self quarantining and I'm going to see if she might want to do a show um, on a Thursday and I might do that for patrons only, but I'm for sure going to do a patrons only show in the next, I don't know, in the next week. I don't really even know what I'm going to talk about. I mean, I, I don't know if, you know, I mean, I, I guess I can ask you if you're still listening that maybe I could do a show about past relationship. Just take your fucking mind off of this. Or I could also do a show talking about my, my spirituality search. Um, you know, the meaning of life, which I know I'll never find, but uh, you know, it's always fun to investigate. I could do that. Um, or I could just maybe talk about how I'm feeling during this and, you know, maybe what, if you want to like have some kind of thing where you comment and say, I'd love for you to address this. I'd love for you to address that having to do with the current situation we're in. I could do a show like that. You can let me know in your comments. I don't know what I'm going to do. Whatever I do, it's going to have to be like, I have to be motivated to do it. If I don't feel motivated, it'll suck. So I have to feel motivated, but I'm totally open to suggestion. So, alrighty, I'm going to stop talking now. And don't forget, of course, I'm just going to always have to say, you can find me on Twitter, author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. And then if you want, I, I'm going to give a plug for my mom's books here because she's such a fantastic writer. And I really, I'm not just her daughter saying that. My mom's worn a lot of hats over the years. I mean, she's been an actress. She's used to sell cars. She was a finance manager for a car dealership. She was a freaking clown at kids' parties. She was a bartender. Um, what else? She sold, she used to work for this company called 20th Century. Pl I mean, she's done plastics. With, she's done so much. Of all the things my mother has done, writing is her best talent. She's so good because she has literally been an avid reader her entire life. She always has a book in her hand. She always has. She used to go to the library and get like 10 books and then read them and take them back and get 10 more books. So she's very smart and she writes thrillers. So I'm going to give a couple recommendations. Um, my favorite book of hers is called Crazy. And I'm just going to tell you right now, her name is Ann Werner, A-N-N-W-E-R-N-E-R. You can find her on Amazon. And my favorite book by her is Crazy, which is loosely based on me, but not really. It's just the main character is a six foot blonde who used to be an actress. And then she becomes a chef who is also an author. So kind of funny. But anyway, um, it's a book about a serial killer. And there's like um, the satanic ritualistic thing in there if you're into that kind of macabre. But there's also some very dark humor. And that's my favorite kind of book, a thriller with dark humor. So um, Crazy's my favorite. She also wrote a book called Dreams and Nightmares, which is a, just a basic thriller. It's good, easy, fast read. In fact, one of the uh, reviews she got on Goodreads was from a woman who criticized all the profanity, which I was like, oh my God, I would use this to sell the fucking book. So anyway, um, she also wrote a book called 
Cooper's Grove, which is kind of like a, it's, it's a, a story about a, a love story in Supernatural. And so it's just kind of a departure, uh, not so much, a little bit of a thriller, but, but it's also like a ghost love story. It's kind of fun. Um, so there, there's books by my mom. I wrote Peyton's Choice, which is more of a young adult book, but it's about uh, a teenager who decides to have an abortion. Of course, I wrote the Virgin. My mom and I did the Virgin Diaries together, collection of stories about people who lost their virginity. We have Ain't No Sunshine, Men Reveal the Pain of Heartbreak. And then also I wrote American Woman, The Pole Dance, The Importance of, of Voting, Women in Voting. So you can find all of our books if you're bored and you're stuck at home. Um, I highly do recommend my mom's books, though, because she writes thrillers and they're not, you know, they're not... Um, um, they're not non wait yeah they're fiction so it's fun it's just like she she to me she reminds me like of a Dean Koontz if you're familiar but anyway so that's it uh, thank you for listening hope to hear from you about what you'd like for me to do patrons only again hopefully I'm hoping I can do one with Steph and we will see you on Wednesday <laughs>